Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Just like that, the final hour is here on this Friday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network, which includes this great radio partner, and all of you watching on YouTube, if you haven't done that, we hope you will visit the Outkick channel. Subscribe to the Outkick channel. Very simple. Just search us out. You can find us there, and you can catch all of the shows, live or on demand. Withrow and I live with Hot Mike each and every weekday afternoon, starting at 3 o'clock Eastern. Dan Gillian is about to join us momentarily. He is the attorney for the woman who alleges that she was gang raped at a party off campus uh, at San Diego State University and at the time was 17 years old. No findings uh, were there to bring criminal charges against the former San Diego State University punter, Matt Ariza, or others at this point. The university has said that it found nothing to point to rape. Uh, the criminal charges have not been sought after either in this case, but a civil case remains. And in 2021, a woman who was 17 at the time claimed she was raped and reported this the day after the alleged incident occurred at a college party off campus. And the attorney for the woman is Dan Gillian, who joins us now. Dan, thank you for the time here on Outkick. We appreciate that. What, what is the big misconception for what we've read and heard versus what your client maintains right now? Well, I mean, I think what you're saying, what you've heard is uh, Matt Ariza going around taking a victory lap for a variety of things that he seems to think are, is important. Like um, there was an audio that his agent leaked out where a prosecutor uh, made a comment about him not being present at the time of the gang rave. Um, you know, he's he thinks that's apparently exoneration. Um, I don't know. I, I listened to a, a just now uh, and watched an interview he gave to a local CBS station here. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. Um, I don't I can't make heads or tails of what's going on with him. It's, um, you know, uh, the the video that I saw the the uh, interview I saw. I mean, what I saw was a very arrogant, um, sexist. Uh, young man who has been scripted to, you know, on how to answer questions, um, probably went outside the script because he said a number of things that just simply are factually untrue. But, you know, I don't know. This is not the way normally uh, cases in civil litigation go. Dan Gillian with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Matt Ariza uh, joined Tommy Laren is fearless on Outkick on Thursday. I want to get your response to this where he says he's not settling the case and why he's not settling the case. There's a lot of people that say, hey, listen, you could settle this, the civil case for about 50 grand, probably cost you a heck of a lot less than you're spending on attorney's fees at this moment and in the past. So why not just settle and make all this go away? Like you previously said, the damage has been done. And if I was to settle, that would waive my right to countership. So at this point, we're the heavy favorite and continuing this any longer is going to be very damaging for them. So I, I'm not willing to settle.
Dan, what do you say to that? Uh, he's, you know, he sounds like a, well, how old is he now? 23? I don't know. He sounds like a, a 21 year old still. Um, it's too bad. I, you know, I, from the beginning, before anyone knew about this, this case, um, I sent an email to uh, the Buffalo Bills and I was just like, hey, isn't there somebody around this kid that is somewhat sophisticated that can talk to him? Um, you know, I was thinking maybe as I actually said, doesn't he have agents or something that can talk to him? And, you know, maybe someone did. Maybe there's some adults that are talking to him and he's just purely, you know, just very stubborn. You know, I'm a I have a teenage son myself, um, but, you know, he just isn't dealing with reality right now. So investigators performed a 124 day investigation and did not charge him with anything. What, why do you think they didn't charge him? Well, for the same reason that the vast majority of these cases aren't charged. Um, I mean, we're talking maybe 2% of all um, sexual assaults, assaults are ever charged by in a criminal court. Um, you know, most, by far, most cases like this aren't even investigated. Um, you know, because these are tough cases for a prosecutor to, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to prove um, you, you have to prove the case by beyond reasonable doubt. But you also have to convince twelve out of twelve jurors beyond a reasonable doubt that the person is guilty. Um, and when you, when you when you have a drunk victim, right? That's your main witness, but she says she's drunk. You know, right there. You, um, you're going to have difficulty as, as a criminal prosecutor. So most of these cases don't get charged. Most don't even get investigated because the detectives know that they're not going to get charged and they don't want to waste their time. So this one was unique um, that they spent, the investigators spent a lot of time, a lot of money, um, you know, trying to find the case that it seems like they believe existed. But, you know, um, they just didn't get in their smoking gun and Matt Ariza wouldn't talk. You know, he uh, uh, asserted the Fifth Amendment and wouldn't talk. You know, it isn't until now that he's talked after he's had about a year or so to get scripted by his lawyers. He's willing to talk now. But um, so it's, they're just, you know, I did an op-ed, by the way. Um, I wrote an op-ed piece for the San Diego Union Tribune where I kind of laid this out. I mean, I this this is so commonplace that charges aren't filed. Um it's actually very uncommon that police even investigate these sort of cases. So you've argued that prosecutors base their opinion that Areza wasn't present during the rape based on a witness who was a buddy of his. Can, can you elaborate on that? Well, no, I, it's not my opinion. Um, or it's not the prosecutor's opinion that he wasn't there. I mean, the prosecutors don't have opinions. Prosecutors are like any other attorney and they look at evidence and they say, what is the evidence? And, and for a prosecutor, they're saying, what is the do, is there sufficient evidence for me to prove beyond a reasonable doubt? That's what they're looking at. Um, in that interview, um, there was a, a young de a deputy district attorney talking to an even younger, very distraught um, victim who was crying um, over the fact that the charges weren't going to be filed. And, you know, there was a passing comment where she says, I know Ariza wasn't there or something like that. But then the attorney that worked at my, my office who was present said, is that based on witnesses? And she says, no, one witness. Um, that one witness was actually never interviewed by the police or the DA. Um, the, the statement that was attributed to him um, was actually written by a private investigator hired by Matt Arise's 
defense attorney, criminal defense attorney. And she went out in July of 2022 and supposedly talked to this, um, this kid and, and just summarized what he supposedly said. I mean, but this investigator didn't keep a recording of that. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're not, I'm not the prosecutor, nor am I sitting there thinking, oh, I think that, um, you know, this, this witness is going to come in and say something else. I think he probably will say the same thing that he apparently told this investigator, but that's what the prosecutor actually said. I mean, it was like right after she said, I know he wasn't there. Um, she said that's based on one witness and we know who this witness is. I'm not going to identify him. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting though. He's a very close friend of Matt Arises. And recently with all this, this media campaign that the uh, team Ariza has been um, conducting, uh, you know, I've made some comments about how he's, you know, this, this kid was Matt Arise's buddy. And recently he started changing around his Instagram and, um, and Twitter to remove all references to Matt Ariza. So he's still out there working for his buddy and trying to um, act like he's not biased. Dan Gillian, our but, guest. Know, that, by ahead. the way, that, that whole issue goes to whether or not Matt Ariza was there at the time of the, the gang rape. Um, but what, what he... I mean, he does know this and his his lawyers do know this, um, but they just don't seem to talk about it very much, is that the allegation against him ha um, includes the statutory rape and the rape by intoxication for sex that he now admits that he had with my client. Um, initially, during a pretext call with the police, he only disclosed it oral sex. So he didn't even comment on about this sexual intercourse. Um, but uh, so he admits that he had sex with her and there, he can't deny that she was 17 and he can't deny that he was 21 and he can't deny that that is a felony. So what does he do? Well, he's never really said anything until now, but prior to the DA dropping or not filing charges, they didn't drop charges before they announced they aren't gonna file um, his attorney was going around saying, well, she said she was 18. And now he's tasked with the, um, with um, the, he has to come up with a, a reason why he asked her why she was 18. Um, you know, she's always been very, very clear that now he never asked me. I never said it. It was never an issue. Well, and feel free, um, feel, now, hold, hold on one second, Dan, feel free to refute this if you want, but this is from mm -hmm. Dan Wetzel's story at Yahoo. Witness interviews from the party, including two of the girl's friends with whom she arrived, said she didn't appear to be drunk at the time. Other witnesses said the girl was telling people she was 18. Are, are you refuting that part of the witness's account? Okay, so which witnesses, though? So, so you, you first of all, you talked about some of her friends who said, I mean, her friends um, said that she was uh, not only intoxicated, that she was inebriated. Um, that's what her her friends that were present said um, even one of the there was a football player there that was um, blocking access to the house um, and preventing my client's friends from getting in there and, and helping her get out of that room. He even gave a statement to the police that she was inebriated. Um, you know, there's some some witnesses may have said she didn't appear drunk. I, you know, I don't know. The bottom line is we don't have BAC. Um, we know 
what witnesses are going to say. You know, um, I know that my client's going to say she uh, consumed almost an entire fifth of vodka um, that evening. And we do have um, there's you know the evidence by way of the videos do show her um, at some point with her eyes kind of rolling back in her head, appearing inebriated. But I don't think there's any doubt that she was drunk. Now, the issue I was addressing before wasn't rape by intoxication. It was statutory rape. And those are two separate things. Um, so uh, he, you know, Matt Ariza admits now, now he admits that he had sex with my uh, client on the side yard. Within now, he says within 15 minutes of meeting her. Um, and uh, and he's 21 at the time. She was 17. I mean, the only way he can get out of that is by coming up with a story that somehow she told him that um, that uh, she was 18. You know, this is a a young girl with braces on her teeth um, and appearing very intoxicated and appearing um, just young. I mean, she's just a young looking girl. And, you know, the bottom line is he didn't ask her and she didn't tell him. And Dan, that doesn't create a defense at all. That's why he's coming up with this story. Dan Gillian with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Was anything removed from social media from that night? We're in a social media age where it, you're going on Instagram Live, you're making posts, there's tweets. Is anything from social media helping to corroborate the story of your client? Well, which story? My client, I mean, um, so... Or the account. Well, okay, well, there's nothing on social media, I mean, that I can think of. I mean, I'm sure that there was. I mean, we know that some of these guys shared um, videos, um, of themselves having sex with my client on, I believe it was Instagram or Snapchat. Um, but now we're not using social media so much. I mean, social media shows a very close connection between um, Matt Ariza and the person he, you know, describes as his designated driver or chauffeur, whatever you want to uh, call him. But, you know, he's a second string hunter on the, on the team and he just, you know, saw Matt Ariza as God. Uh, but he's, they're very close friends, and there's TikTok videos out there showing them together, traveling together. Um, but he's been taking those posts down. So that aspect of social media will be used. But, you know, um, here I just think it comes down to there's my client's very believable. You know, she's very real. Um, she's humble. Um, her story makes sense. And I've just now been able to see that uh, Matt Ariza, you know, he can appear scripted and might maybe rehearsed. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's more than just a little bit arrogant and quite a bit sexist. Um, I mean, just, it was pretty stunning. The stuff that he was saying, um, the, the double standard between, uh, you know, men having sex with a young girl with, without a condom within 15 min minutes of meeting her, supposedly because she was um, talking very sexually explicit. And by the way, all girls do this, um, you know, and then they're being, it's just, I, I, he's made a comment too about, um, you know, he wasn't there at the party at all at the time of the gang rape, but it wasn't a gang rape. He, he said, this is what he said. It wasn't a gang rape. It was just group sex. Like, okay, Matt, if you weren't there, then how do you know what it was? I mean, it's, it's, pretty appalling just how um, how 
to the length they've gone to to basically slut shame um, my client. Um, she came comes out of that room, you know, with blood all over her, crying, um, in shock. These are all these are the terms that I'm repeating that witnesses saw, um, saying she was raped, saying she was raped by multiple men. Um, goes to the police, goes to the hospital. There's bruising on her neck. Um, there's blood in the crotch, the groin area of her costume. Um, and yet Matt Ariza, the guy that wasn't there, has the audacity to come out and go on TV and say that was group sex. Um, and I just I just think that a jury is going to see right through that. Um, and I think that the jury is going to look at my client and go, you know, you just tell the same story over and over, you know, from day one, it's been the same story because she tells, she, she will testify about what she remembers and she will not make up facts to fill in the gaps. And, you know, Matt Ariza has demonstrated already to me in just a short video that he's willing just to make up facts and argue his case whenever it suits him. And it's for one purpose. He wants his job back. Uh, he wants his job back with the NFL. He doesn't care about my client who came out of that room, bloodied, saying she'd been raped, had to go to the police. She didn't know who he, he was. Um, she, you know, this whole idea that she was making this up for money. What, what motive does my client have to make this up? But what motive does Matt Ariza have right now to go out there on his campaign and start slut shaming my client and basically slut shaming all the women at SDSU? Um, his motive is very clear. He wants his he wants his job with the NFL back. You know what? He wants he wants all the glory that comes from being um, a guy who kicks balls. Um, you know, and uh, you know what? He's twenty three x twenty one x eighteen. It doesn't really matter. You know, I. Um, it just seems like to me that someone, some of the adults in the room on, on team arises side, they need to, you know, have a kind of come to Jesus with this guy and say, you know, Matt, you were 21. She was 17. She had braces in her mouth. You had sex without, without a condom within 15 minute, minutes of meeting her. But you did nothing wrong, did you, Matt? I mean, it's just to me, I, I think that a jury is going to be um, pretty appalled. A jury. Have defense. you offered? Have you offered to settle this case on your side? Oh yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. In fact, it was a discussion that Matt Arise's attorney and I had over the phone, and we are the ones that came up with a fifty thousand dollar number. Um, it was it was interesting, and I I told um, you know Mr. Submergent. It repeated what my client's been saying from day one. She doesn't care about money, um, you know. So I said, "Listen, he doesn't have a job. Um, you know, fifty thousand dollars is a lot to a young man who doesn't have a job, um, and uh, you know." And he came back and said, "Well, well how about twenty-five? And I go, "No, it's going to have to be fifty because otherwise he'll go around and start acting like it was just a, a nuisance thing and." And I said, but don't worry, um, he can pay this off when he when he gets a job. So it wasn't about anything. So it was just more about like, hey, let's just resolve this case. And his attorney agreed with me. So that's what I'm saying. It's like some somebody is around Matt 
giving him bad advice. And maybe he's just a stubborn young man and won't listen to anybody. But, you know, he's got it in his head. Somehow he's going to end up suing me. Um, uh, I don't know if he really believes that. But, you know, that's, again, just like just more lunacy coming out of that side of the case. Dan, final thing. What's the timetable like moving forward from your end on the civil issue? Well, you know, these cases typically take, you know, a couple of years to get to trial. Um, and I think this this case is a good example of why, you know, we still don't even have all the records from the police in unredacted form. You know, um, this is an important case and we've got a number of police or a number of witness statements from the police. But there's also a lot of them that have been completely redacted. And, you know, we can't even take depositions until we get those statements. Um, there's additional defendants going to be we're going to be naming additional defendants because now that we have um, the police reports, we're allowed we're able to identify at least two more football players who had um, uh, who admitted to at least having sex with her in that room. Um, and then we also identified the guy, the football player that was blocking access to that house while the, the rape was going on. Um, you know, the, the, the big issue and I think the big kind of the, the big red herring that Team Ariza has been trying to get the uh, media to follow is whether or not he was part of the gang rape. And, you know, my, my client, she told the police like, within a couple of days that he led her from the house into that room and then uh, someone shoved her down from behind. That's pretty much what we alleged in the complaint. You know, 10 days after the incident, Matt Ariza during a pretext call. So he's being recorded. He didn't know it. He, he commented um, that he was outside for the rest of the party and starts talking about why the party ended um, and even made a comment that he thought that my clients in her group were there until the end of the party. He never ever said anything like, oh, by the way, I left the party um, early. Uh, he never said that. That's what he's saying now. Um, it may be true that he did. And his attorneys have told me they have independent evidence beyond what he says and beyond what his buddy says. But for some reason, they just won't produce it. And all I can assume is, is the reason is they don't have it. And, but, you know, and, and final clarification, the, the investigation, did it not say that there was no blood as she exited the room? And if it, no. is there a discrepancy no. there? If, if so, why? There, there, I have no idea where you'd say there's no blood when she comes out of the room. There's a couple of a uh, couple of guys have been willing to say that because they're trying to squeeze this this case into um, some sort of group sex. But I mean, every single believable witness. Plus, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the video. Uh, the video of her costume has got blood all over her um, groin area, and the witnesses um, that they've deposed. Uh, well, there's one witness they've deposed so far, and she said there was blood. What was interesting about that that particular witness is the same investigator who um, was hired by Ariza to interview the the friend. Um, she had in her statement that she attributed to this witness about the blood. She really downplayed the amount of blood that there was. But, you know, at, at her deposition, you know, she said, no, there was blood. It was dripping well, down. Her was leg. there an examination done by the investigators, I guess, is the question. And what were the findings yeah. of that investigation yeah. with the rape kit? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all this is this is it, absolutely. She went to di she went to the hospital and underwent a very invasive um, sexual assault um, test and by uh, nurses primarily. Um the police officers took photographs of the injuries, um, but 
that there was, you know, female nurses that did the, you know, very invasive exams and it's all there. Um, I have no idea where you're getting the evidence is there was no blood because there was blood. Dan Gillian has been our guest, uh, Gillian Law Firm, representing Jane Doe in this case. And uh, he's saying it's it's moving forward in the in the civil aspect of the court system. Dan, thank you for the uh, for the time and the insight from your side of things as a follow up to what we heard from Matt Ariza yesterday. OK, no problem. Thank you. Absolutely. Dan Gillian there, uh, the attorney and chances are we'll be checking back in as this case progresses um, because he's still maintaining his client's side of the story, despite the university. And keep in mind, this happened off campus. The university saying that there were no um, findings on their end that suggested rape and there are no criminal charges that were brought forward and was announced in December of last year. And recently, the videos uh, have been referenced and Matt Arises making what he said was the victory lap, according to, to Dan Gillian. And according to Dan Wetzel's piece, and this is from prosecutors, after that 124-day investigation, which is important to note, quote, Prosecutor said her behavior in the videos made prosecuting anyone for rape impossible. And those are the videos that Dan referenced that are out there. Coming up, Mary Catherine Ham will join us. She's the host of Getting Hammered with Mary Catherine Ham. We'll dive into where we are in the world of news media, sports media, and the 24-hour news cycle. And Chad, specifically... The importance of being first versus being correct and accurate. That's next on Hot Mike. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network rolls on. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching there. Hit the like button. You can join us in the chat as well. Mary Catherine Ham joins us, host of the Getting Hammered podcast, back on. Rave reviews, Mary Catherine, after your last visit with us, was we were trying to get into a deep dive of media now versus what media, I guess, used to be. Uh, thanks yeah. for coming back on. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the kind words, even though I'm a dog. <laughs> <laughs> two, uh, you know, two-time national champion, back-to-back. Right. Back. you got a lot of bragging yeah. rights right now, Mary Catherine. I waited a long time for it, guys. A Nin long 1980 time. was a long time ago until a couple of years You've ago, no it. doubt about You've it. You've earned it. Um, so we just had the attorney for Jane Doe and the, the Matt Ariza case on with us, right. and he said a lot of things in that interview. But one of my main takeaways, this is me talking now about what he said. One of his main arguments right. was – Matt Ariza is a sexist, pompous, rehearsed guy, and he comes across that way in every interview, and he is a 21-year-old guy at the time who had sex with a 17-year-old, and a jury will see that my client is humble and real and likable, and I'm thinking the argument basically is they're going to like her more than him. And Mary Catherine, I think this is so indicative of where we are in America right now with popularity contest, identity politics. And now this is sort of identity law, I feel like, right? Like who's going to like or believe the other person more when they get in front of each other without necessarily a lot of facts of the case being presented uh, by right. him? Isn't that sort of a mirror for a lot of things going on right now? 
I mean, first off, I'd say that's not what I've seen of Ariza in the public eye, who seemed quite calm in the way he talks about this and asks to be judged by the facts. And the fact is that we didn't have a lot of the facts when he was judged the first time. So that's a problem. Um, even if you don't like someone, they are afforded due process. That's part of the deal in this country. And it should be part of the deal in this country. Now, this is a person, the accuser, who um, who brought this issue to law enforcement Quickly after it happened, law enforcement looked into it and prosecutors decided, look, there's just not what we need here. In fact, there's exculpatory evidence. That exculpatory evidence is very important in the public eye. If Matt Ariza is being called to task for this, he claims that the the contact he had with her was consensual. And you're right. This is an identity thing. The press decided he's a bad character. She's a good character. That is not how journalism is supposed to work. And when you do journalism that way, you do a disservice to the truth and the people that you are serving, not to mention the actual people whose lives you might ruin, right? Like Duke lacrosse players or whoever it might be. Or this week, the lady who went viral uh, for having a discussion or having a dispute with people about the city bike, right? Somebody decided she's the bad character. These guys are the good characters, according to social justice. And therefore, this is the way this played out. We shouldn't even be discussing that dispute as a national news story, but since we're gonna, we should have facts. And when the facts came out, it turned out, well, she did pay for the bike and it wasn't exactly what we thought it was, right? So perhaps media should do the part where they find the facts, which is purportedly their job, uh, before we get to the judging part. Is it to a point where the those that are hustlers, those that are digging for those facts are no longer needed because you have those that are cultivating stories, staff reports, quote unquote, as I refer to them as, uh, instead of boots on the ground, digging into information. Are we beyond that era of media doing that job for the public service? I don't think we're beyond it, but we're in a real bad place. Um, being loud and opinionated and just choosing the right characters in the social justice sort of universe um, is cheap, right? It takes investment to be on the ground. It takes time and discipline to think through the facts instead of jumping in with the hive mind where you know you might get promoted if you go along with the story like I don't know Jesse Smollett like saying that that might not be accurate doesn't really help you in a newsroom promoted going promoted or, everyone, or just keep your job yeah. right not get fired. and like and yeah going along with it or I don't know the entire Russia collusion story none of that gets you any punishment Right? right. So the incentives are all bad unless your incentive is to tell the truth, which is what I attempt to do. And I just try to help so many others in the media see that maybe we would be better served and the public would be better served and we would have a better conversation if that's what we were concerned about. Even if you decide you don't like the person you're reporting on. Yeah. Do, do you watch the, uh, the show Succession on HBO? Mary I actually don't. I know this is a mark against me. No, my... you'll, you'll, you'll love it. I haven't it. watched it yet either. Well, there's there's a, a the latest episode, there's a fictional election night taking place. Right. And one of the key arguments that happens is between two siblings on each side of the political spectrum. And there is an incident where there's a fire at a voting facility. And watching both of them argue either side of what happened, that it was Antifa or that it was right-wing <laughs> lunatics that did it, yeah. and, this, and they can just each, and they don't even care, but they're going back and forth in a funny way of what probably happened and what we could say happened and how we could right. spin it or what may have not happened or we probably shouldn't cover that. Um, and I'm watching it and I'm thinking so many people root for a story to be true or false. And yes. how do we get back to 
seeing a story and writing about it and not necessarily rooting for one thing or the other to be true with it, right? You, you mentioned Jesse Smollett, which is a great example of that, but actually looking at it on its face and not rooting for something with a story. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's a real problem because some of it is speed and some of it is the hive mind of the media, which is like too many people agree. There's not, when I was at CNN, I'm the weirdo in the room. I'm the person calling people on like, do you really think this Russia thing is exactly what you think it is? Maybe let's test that notion. Rooms need weirdos, especially rooms in media, uh, whether it's the right side agreeing with each other or the left side agreeing with each other. In this case, it's media, so it's largely left, right? But you have to have your notions tested and there's far too little of that. And then you have the fast paced, era of social media, right? Where you have to sort of both the right and the left go, oh my gosh, if this person who did this thing is pinned on us, then it's going to be, this is going to be the conversation. So I have to go out and find evidence that it's not this person. And we get in this, like, what tribe does someone belong to immediately? And that is a response from regular citizens to media deciding, well, we're going to assign tribes to people, even without evidence, and decide that, we're backing one horse. And it's it's a, it's the opposite of journalism. It's coming to a conclusion before you have the facts. And it's what's happened in so many national stories, which is why the numbers for media are in the tank. They're so, so bad. Uh, they're almost on, I think they're on par with used car salesmen for good reason. They lie to us. They're lazy. They do not figure out the facts quickly enough. And like, I can be guilty too, right? I can jump to the wrong conclusion because of my beliefs, but I feel like I have a lot more people around me to test my beliefs as a right-leaning person than some of my friends in the media who are just towing a line that is often something everyone agrees with. Mary Catherine Ham, our guest on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Is algorithm the death of truth? Are we playing to algorithm more than we are digging for the truth in a story? Uh, the quick answer is probably yes. <laughs> it's just like, so the media always says that there's a one answer, one word answer for them. What's the death of truth? And they'll tell you Trump, right? That's not the death of truth, right? We we can still deal with Trump and actually discuss what's real and what's not. Instead, what people did is they, much of the media said, this guy is so dangerous for the truth that what we have to do is lie about him in order to save the truth. Well, lying doesn't save the truth. Save the republic. Right? Yeah. <laughs> lying doesn't save the truth. And the algorithm is like an accelerant to all of this. Because you get the re repeats, you get the hashtags, right? And you're feeding your base. And that's really what it comes down to. What, what's the public base for who is our audience, our target audience going to think about this? And how are they yes. going to receive it? It's more than that. It goes back to the Matariza story. He's drafted. He's with the Buffalo Bills. And this is in the, you know, right on the... Uh, right on the opposite end of the Me Too movement, and you've got this vitriol for how dare the Bills not know about this. Right. How, how they don't know about this story, so they cut him. They have a press conference about it. Ariza says he doesn't, doesn't hold anything against the Buffalo Bills, but I mean, I, at some point you can't unring the bell for whatever we've reported with, with Ariza in this story, if in fact nothing comes of it, and in fact, on the opposite end of the civil case, they're offering to settle. Yeah, I would argue that all pro leagues uh, and colleges for that matter too, need to have a uniform way that they deal with such allegations yeah. so that they can say, look, we're following this policy. We've done the investigation we're required to do. Maybe there's a hold you put on somebody while the allegations are investigated. 
while you figure out what the, what prosecutors are going to do. But it should not be the case. It's not a fair standard that you have to immediately prove a negative in order to stay in your job, whether it's the lady with the city bike who got let go from hers or whether it's Ariza. You know, the, the Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein, clearly a monster and prosecuted yes. and convicted of being a monster. But a lot of the fallout from that with everyone else, I don't know how many times you could point to some and say, this person's clearly a monster, or maybe they were just victim of the circumstance of being caught up in that movement. Have we seen that movement turn at all with the Matariza story, with Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard also, yeah, where incredible. immediately it was, oh, Johnny Depp must be a monster, and then it turns out, mm-hmm. oh, well, she's pretty crazy too, uh, and all that goes down. Have we seen a turn with that, Mary Catherine? I think there's a little bit of a turn, right? I think people are a little sheepish about how far they went saying, believe all women all the time, right? That's, it's not a useful standard. I think the Johnny Depp one is a perfect example where this was adjudicated. And even in a civil lawsuit where there's a less, you know, there's a lower threshold, um, she did not succeed because the facts came out, right? Uh, and in that case, uh, I guess using the, the lawyer's argument, he ended up being the one with the facts on his side and the more likable one. Uh, and that mattered in that courtroom because that does matter in courtrooms. But the facts were adjudicated finally. And I'm, I appreciate that he got a nice welcome uh, in France for the Cannes Film Festival because I do think uh, he lost a couple years of his career over this, which was not a good relationship, very, very messy, and uh, certainly was not just him. Uh, causing problems, as we now know from the from the uh, trial. A seven-minute standing ovation, though. <laughs> that's yeah. a yeah. That's a lengthy standing ovation. He, he's back. <laughs> There's point. no doubting yeah. now. Johnny Depp is back. That's, we got Pirates of the Caribbean movies being made. All of a sudden, well, he's, he's all the way back. The sad thing to think about is how many people go through this who maybe aren't are judged too quickly and get no redemption. The yeah. redemption is always so much quieter than the accusation, and that's a problem. What's what's a newsroom like nowadays, Mary Catherine? What what is the edict from top down, news director down on what we are seeking? Look, I think I think a lot of people are looking for clicks, right? There's there's still sort of this guise of like we want to be truth tellers and frankly there's far too much lecturing of the American public about how the press is the only truth tellers when clearly that's not the case. Clearly they're using their own biases and making different calls that way. Clearly they're not telling the truth sometimes. Clearly, they're employing often people who lie on their own behalf, right? Um, And so I think there's too much lecturing, and they have not reckoned with how to gain trust back. And I don't know how they will do that um, if they don't stop talking down to everybody about the truth. That's, That's step one, is like a little introspection, and I don't see that part in newsrooms. Is 2016 the breaking point? Is that where everything really started to break in terms of Donald Trump just broke a lot of brains in, in that time and it hasn't really recovered since? It's an easy answer, but it's also, I think, partly the right answer. Uh, I was there watching it live, right? I watched the day after the election when we all went on CNN and everyone's scratching their heads, mildly traumatized. Uh, I'm like, well, I was sort of wrong about this election, but I wasn't as wrong as you guys because I thought there was like a 40% chance he could do this. Um, and then there was just a refusal to accept that this person was the duly elected president of the United States. And that was incredibly damaging to the country. And it started in 2016 as soon as he was elected. Uh, and as journalists, um, that's doing exactly what they accuse many 
rightly, uh, on the right of doing of denying that Biden won the election, right? It's the same thing. They just think it's righteous because it was Trump. And that's the problem. You can't have two different standards. Mary Catherine Hamm has been our guest. Follow her on social at MK Hammer, the Getting Hammered podcast available now. Best podcast titles of all time. Right. Thank you very much. Almost (laughs) as good as Georgia's Defense is the name of that podcast. Good luck. I got to go up to Philly and watch them this year. Good luck luck on your three-peat, by the way. Your your trio of titles coming up. Thank you so much. Next for time we'll again. get into Stetson Bennett, whether or not he uh, graduated from Georgia and how that's possible. Oh, I have thoughts. Yeah, that's that's oh. the tease for the next visit. It takes it takes a it, you have to try at that to not graduate in six years. I'm convinced he just not didn't not go at to the school. University of Georgia. You know. <laughs> yeah, I just think they said, hey, just come play quarterback, and he just kind of hung out around Athens the whole time. Oh my gosh, it's a great place to hang out for sure. Thank you for the time. Good to see you. <laughs> Bye, guys. Mary see Catherine Ham, there, uh, the Getting Hammered podcast. She has a degree. She does. Let's clarify. She has her degree from Georgia. Probably in like three years. Unlike the quarterback who just won back-to-back national championships and was in school for six years. The seven-minute standing ovation. At some point, doesn't it become awkward for the person that is receiving the applause? That honestly sounds like hell to me. The seven-minute To receive a seven-minute standing ovation? I'd have no idea what to do for seven minutes. That would be so uncomfortable. We'll try to think of the things we could do for seven minutes. Close out the show with Hutton giving me a standing ovation and see how I respond. (laughs) That's next on Hot Mike. Johnny Depp was back. Won a $15 million defamation summary in his defense of whatever was going on going down with Amber Heard. That was last year as we knew it. Now he's at Cannes and he's receiving a seven-minute standing ovation in his return. Chad, it was emotional. He's crying. He's, you know, coming you up on stage. You do a lot in seven minutes. But this is through Variety. I don't know what you do after like the first minute of this standing ovation at the film festival. After a certain point, don't you just like raise your hand like, okay, guys, like, yeah, all right, this is enough. enough. You cut it. It's all good. I think 30 seconds of it, I would be like, all right, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'd go grab a microphone. There's not one next to him, but I'd go grab something I mean, to get people to sit down. I'm trying to think, like, we were asking, like, have we seen anything like this? There are encores at concerts where you don't have to wait seven minutes, not even three minutes before they come back on because the artist can't wait to get out of there as soon as possible and get back on the road. Um, but Depp is, is it just a standing thing? here the entire time. A standing ovation? No, like seven minutes standing ovations. No, standing Do ovation. French people, they just don't know when to stop clapping? They're just waiting for one person well, to I sit mean, down and then the clapping stop, stops? If they didn't know when to stop, stop clapping, they wouldn't have stopped. <laughs> They stopped at some point. It's fading off now at the very end. Oh, it's still going though, and this is this is what this is like. There it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. We're back. We're back. I don't know. And we're back to clapping. At some point, it just becomes way too awkward. I mean, you can have a good sob session, and your 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 tear ducts are dry by the time this thing is over. Did he just make Citizen Kane? Also, (laughs) is this the greatest film of all time? (laughs) I had to go read the description. It's something about Louis the Sixteenth. Jean Dubarry? Is that how you say He's it? Du- I think it's Dubar. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making this up. B-A-R-R-Y? It's probably I, I just Dubar. like to, when someone tries Dubarry? to pronounce a foreign language, I like to correct Jean them, even Dubarry? if I don't know it. I'm like, no, no, it's Dubar. Dubar yeah. Chad, you can tell me how that film is. It's Dubar I'll watch it. I'm not afraid of some subtitles. All right. Doesn't scare me away. What are we talking about on Monday? 
think we're talking about the Lakers back in the series. I hope, I, hope that, I hope that's the case. I have a fear that this is going to be a short series, even though it's going to be a very uh, entertaining and competitive series. I think the Nuggets come back with a de- definitive lead by the time we get back on Monday. We're also going to hear from Mary Catherine Hamm on her theory on how Stetson Bennett did not graduate <laughs> college in six years. Um, it's also what we're going to talk about. What about Boston? I think Miami can get them again. They're so inconsistent Boston. Heat culture, Button. Heat culture. Miami. Our guy Collins wearing a Miami Heat hat over here today. What great mojo for the Heat. And socks. He's ready what, to go. What is a Miami-Denver NBA Finals going to mean for the ratings that have been so good, but you end up with Miami and Denver instead of Boston and It'd LA? It'd be a great series. I don't know that it's going to be breaking any records with ratings. Have a great weekend. We are back at it on Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. <laughs>